Ladies and gentlemen, now it's too late with Alan Mosley. You know what? Yeah, 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 yeah. Y'all, y'all aren't real. Shut the. Um, you know what that just made me think of just now is what's that? The the intro song for "It's Too Late" mm-hmm. is actually a full song, but you only hear mm-hmm. like twenty seconds of it for the show. I don't think anyone yeah. has ever actually heard the whole song because it's like a two and a Have half you? minute like big band thing. But you only hear 20 seconds every single week, so you've never heard, like, the rest of it. No. No, I haven't. Yeah. Maybe I'll I'll see if I can find it, and in the after party, we'll play the whole whole thing. Yeah. Yeah. We got to find more stuff to get auto-flagged for copyright on YouTube. (laughs) Although, to be fair, I actually actually got out my wallet and put in my credit card and paid for a license for that song. All the way way back. All, all the way back on episode 95, which was the first episode of the new format, It's Too Late, I mm-hmm. we, we redesigned it, and I had the music, and I paid for a license. Because this is – I'm telling you the story because this, this is how naive I was at the time, right? Back then, <laughs> two, like two and a half, three years ago, I said to myself, well, I don't want to have any copyrighted material on my show, so I'll better pay for the license. And now we're streaming Monday Night Football. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> How times changed. have changed. Yeah. <laughs> uh, welcome back to the show, everybody. Welcome back to It's Too Late. I am your host, Alan Mosley. Joined, as always, by the number one producer in Late Night, it's Dave Willemowski. Dave. Dave. How are you doing? You're just... doing good. Okay. Well, I, I got lost for a minute there. I, was, I wasn't sure if I wanted to vote for Top Scientist or Mad Cow. Then I yeah. figured I should read the question first. Yeah. I, <laughs> um yeah yeah i just got home from some friend's house had some some family hanging out time doing good ready to ready to party i'm a How little bit con- i'm a little bit concerned that right now it's a route for mad cow yeah yeah so that. that really says something about uh our audience so <laughs> before before we Sounds go fun. any further a couple of programming notes the first one being we actually got so many new subscribers on the Twitch channel. Dave, show everybody the Twitch channel. Oh, 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 yeah. yeah. Do you even remember how? Yeah, yeah. yeah. I got confused because I actually have the Twitch channel up, and I'm like, you want a screenshot? Yeah, or? yeah, okay. yeah. So we got so many new subscribers on the Twitch channel that we unlocked a new emote slot. Those, those are those little bitty pictures that you can show instead of like yeah. communicating with other people. You communicate. It's like hieroglyphics, really. Yeah. You know. We're- progress so we have a new one and you know what that means is we have to auction it off that's that's the only way yeah so the last one we got went to carl obviously and the new one will probably Probably. go to carl yeah Yeah. probably gonna go to carl but but if you can get your (laughs) if you can get your bid in before carl sees this then you might get the new emote slot (laughs) i mean it's it's the holiday season you know it's the end of the year it's december and and we do we i mean i was gonna say we can't do this for free but clearly we can right (laughs) but consider consider supporting the program uh you know yeah yeah. you can go to alanmosley.tv slash support and there's our patreon and our paypal and if i think if you type in all those digits right there on those other ones you can give us all your 
all your Bitcoins. special internet money. Yeah. But you yeah. but you better not get one of those digits wrong because if you lose fifty grand, then yeah, it's just going off into the ether. Yeah. Um. You know, I saw earlier today they announced this year's Times Magazine's Person of the Year. Drum roll, Dave. Do you want to know who Time Person of the Year is? Take a look. Here it is. It is. Oh. Oh. Oh no. President really? Zelensky, neat of Ukraine. Yeah, the guy, the guy who is pulling the world into World War Three, is Times <laughs> well, Person yeah. of the Year. Um, yeah, I, I mean, it it doesn't really matter, you know. Like, I I will say this though, like it, it's not all bad because I imagine that the Ukrainian people are really happy about this. This is the mm-hmm. best Time Person of the Year that they've had since. 1938. I think I know what you're talking about. Don't say it. You if, can't. You, if you if you say it, then we're gonna get Kanye'd. <laughs> yeah, uh, R- yeah. Chat says got it, it so it's fine. Yeah, Chat <laughs> got it. It's fine. Um. So earlier in the week, before we got to the show, I I was getting some messages from people, and of course, me, an intellectual, I'm like fans messaging me directly. Block. But before yeah. I did that, I saw what they were saying, and they were saying, "Hey." Are you guys going to talk about the Twitter files on the show this week? Do you hear about those Twitter files? You going to talk about the Twitter files? Ugh. Okay. Ladies and gentlemen, let's talk about the Twitter files. Does it just keep going? I don't know. I, I was just about to say, I think it's already played so long now that it's over. This, you're, like, if you're on YouTube, you can't even see me anymore. Yeah, they, just know, shut us down. Yeah, it's over. Um, <laughs> so here's the thing about the Twitter files. I'm not going to, we don't have time for me to sit here and scroll through the 400 little tweets of, oh, did you see this happen? Did you see this happen? Um, yeah. But I wanted to address it because I feel like, I feel like a lot of people don't have the best takeaways when things like this happen. And and the very first thing I want to mention is, and so for people that are not aware, what the Twitter files refers to is, is Elon Musk decided, I'm going to take some of the internal documents and communications from, mm-hmm. from the previous ownership, specifically related to during the previous election cycle, and, and a lot to do with the whole, remember the whole Hunter Biden laptop story and the New York Post broke the big story about Hunter Biden apparently forgot a laptop at a repair <laughs> shop. And it has, it has, I mean, it's, it's just, it's, I mean, it's just the world's your oyster. It's got your kitty porn. It's got him yeah. doing hookers and blow. It's, it's got, you know, personal communique with cor- corrupt barons in Ukraine. I mean, it's, it's everything that you can imagine, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and the New York Post breaks the story. And what does Twitter do? They suppress it. Yeah. They they move it down in the algorithm. They actually, if you you remember, they actually deplatformed the the twi- mm-hmm. the Twitter profile of the New York Post for some number of hours or days or whatever. Like they treated you the way they treat, you know, like you or me. <laughs> yeah, like normal people. Yeah. yeah, they treated them like normal people. Um 
And so Elon Musk decided, I'm gonna, I'm gonna come clean. I'm gonna air out all the dirty laundry because you know, like, what, what do they say? Like, uh, transparency is the best disinfectant, right? So I'm okay. gonna. So he takes a bit, a bunch of these files, and he gives them to the reporter Matt Taibbi, and he starts kind of disseminating the info and tweeting out like some of his, some of the reflections on what he received. And instead of going through line by line, because basically at the end of the day, if you're wondering, well, what did it say? What it said was things we already knew, right? Yep. Like it said things we already knew. I I know that some random, you know, bootlicker out there says, well, you couldn't know. You didn't have a source. Well, yeah, but we know, right? Like, like come on. Yeah. <laughs> we know. You know. Um, and, and so there's evidence of politicians. And the White House, which that would be the Trump White House, but they certainly catered a lot more to left-wing politicians mm -hmm. than right-wing, where they could send links to tweets to Twitter HQ, and they would just go through deleting them, deleting the account mm -hmm. holder, all this stuff. And that's really interesting, because something I've talked about on the show before is the concept of a governmentality. A governmentality being that, well, it might, it might be a private business— but they're really working as an extension of the government. So since they're working as an extension of the government, that makes them a governmentality. And a governmentality absolutely can violate your First Amendment rights. Um, whereas a, a private company might can decide what to platform or not platform, they no longer get that protection when they're working at the behest of the government. So mm -hmm. so now that you understand what a governmentality is, and we know for a fact Twitter was doing this, then fast forward, you have all these right-wingers, right? You've got all these right-wingers that's saying, oh, here's the smoking gun. We, we've got them now. <laughs> what happens next? There was so many. It was Tim Young and, and Cernovic and Poso and... Uh, all your typical Fox News pundits and your Ben Shapiro's and your Blaze TVs all, and your Daily Wires, all these people are all saying, this, there's the smoking gun. We, we know that there was collusion. What happens next? Ladies and gentlemen, do you want me to tell you what happens next? Nothing. Oh, surprise. Nothing happens next. Yeah. It's this is the same boomerism as the people who say, "Oh, posterity won't treat the COVID people very well." There's going to be hearings. Uh, they're they're going to subpoena Fauci. We're going to get to the bottom of this. He's going to prison. No, no, he's not. What? And 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 frankly, <laughs> what about all human history between mankind and the state has led you to believe that any of that would happen? When has anyone in your lifetime who genuinely negatively affected your life with the power of government ever been held accountable for anything they ever did? Right. Exactly. It, it hasn't happened. Yep. So so it, it's it's look what they did is terrible and I would love for these people to be held accountable but they're not going to be. And and a, another thought that I had was is particularly on the on the side of like the covid stuff when it comes to the covid stuff the the biggest excuse that you hear today from mainstream sources is we didn't know 
It's the fog of war, right? We didn't we didn't know how serious the virus was. We didn't know that masks don't work. We didn't know that the that the jabs could have uh, unforeseen consequences and and heart related issues. We didn't know. We acted out of out of our best judgment. You know why that that excuse doesn't work. You want to know why that excuse holds absolutely no water whatsoever. Because when you or I don't know something, we got to be cautious, right? But I don't mean cautious as in taking tons of precautions that we force upon others. I mean we have to make sure we don't overstep ourselves. It's kind of like putting your foot in your mouth, right? You don't want to fire off and then you turn out to be wrong. But when they didn't know something, and I I put that in air quotation marks because I tend to think that they know. They knew. But let's give them the benefit of the doubt. They didn't know. The problem is, is that when they didn't know, they don't err on the side of caution, right? They err on the side of extreme authoritarianism. That's their nature. If you go, if you're going to go with your gut instinct when you don't have complete information, we now know, if you didn't already know, you now know what the state is all about. Their gut instinct is extreme authoritarianism. I've, I've talked on this very show about how the word deserve is really heavy. You know, like telling people what, what they deserve. You ought to get what you deserve. And, you know, we better hope we don't get what we deserve, right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> Actually, if you've seen our Patreon and PayPal, we pretty much get what we deserve, I think, <laughs> on the <this> show. <laughs> so I'm not going to say anything that's going to get me in trouble and deplatformed. But I'm going to let my best friend, Samuel L. Jackson, tell you what these people deserve. Oh, yes. Yes, they deserve to die, and I hope they burn in hell. Guys, we're going to be back with the (laughs) meme of the week and the viewer mail right after this commercial break. Don't go away. I was telling Dave during the break that we got an email from our friends over at Facebook that, hey, you've been streaming that foosball again? Well, you can't post for 72 hours, and we're deleting your video. Except for we're streaming on Facebook right now. Yeah, that's that's not quite 72. Yeah. Yeah, it's it's right now. Um, So anyway, guys, let me tell you about tonight's sponsor, which is Pat oh. Crest Botanicals, which you can find at patcrestbotanicals.com. If you use promo code, it's too late. You get 30% off. you got to be kidding me. 30% off. And I mean, 30%. like 30% off. And then like, if you adjust for inflation, that's like 
It's like <laughs> regular price. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So it's it's back to regular price instead of being thirty percent more. So you're All welcome, right. everyone. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> uh, if you actually you want to see right here, I've got one of their products. This is the Delta Eight Blue Dream. For folks who missed it oh. last week. Um, if you know my friend Dave Wilimowski, he's very fluid when it comes to consent. Dave, can we get a, oh. can we get a shot of this right here? Yeah. yeah he's yes. very fluid when it comes to consent. <laughs> but if you need some consent fluid to get that special lady oh. in the bedroom, yeah. you use the Delta 8 Blue Dream, just a, a, a few few drops in her drink. Oh, a few, oh, yeah. A few bottle things. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and... I mean, it it probably works on regular people. It doesn't work on me, but like, have you seen me? You know, right? All right. So anyway, that's Pat Crest Botanicals promo code. It's too late. It's too late. I was so I was out earlier today, and I happened. I I wasn't doing anything like Christmas shopping. I was in a store, but I wasn't doing Christmas shopping because it turns out they like they want you to pay for goods and services. Like oh. selfish, right? Like totally not in the holiday season, but I, no. there was, there was this lady walking down the aisle and she had one kid. She's got like one kid on her hip right here and two kids following her. And, and she's just, you know, like she's about to go yeah. home and swallow a bottle of pills. Um, she really needs some of the blue dream. To, some uh, of the blue dream. Um, yeah. And, and what, there was this little boy behind her. And the there was a little girl, and the girl was holding her hand. And the boy wasn't holding her hand. The boy was like holding her shirt, and mm-hmm. he he's just talking, you know. He's just yeah. He's just making yep. pronouncements, you know. Attention, everyone. <laughs> um, and then he starts asking her questions. I'm not like I'm not following her. I just happen to be going down the same aisle. And he just starts asking her questions. It's like, hey, what's that? Hey, what's that? Hey, what's that? And finally, after so many attempts, he, he's not paying attention where he's going. He knocks a display over. Oh, oh, you don't need that. And what's the lady do? She's at her wit's end, and she goes, Well, I hope you're happy with yourself. Oh. And I thought, you know, I've had a lot of people in my life say that to me, and I don't think any of them actually meant it. That's not nice. <laughs> I like how you can't hit the goddamn laugh button for anything. And I say something like just tragic. And it's, ah. All right. Um, oh, while I'm opening up my fortune cookie, I forgot. Did you know what today is? Uh, Wednesday. We do the show. I should be proud of that answer. It's December mm-hmm. 7th. You know what today is the anniversary of? December 7th. No, no, I don't. Pearl Harbor. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Never forget. Yeah. See, it's the anniversary of Pearl Harbor. Uh, And then I thought, for Pearl Harbor, we should make sure everybody knows that President FDR actually helped to orchestrate Pearl Harbor so that he could have a war. Because this episode tonight is pretty pretty lighthearted, getting into the holiday spirit. We have a really great mm-hmm. guest later. And I thought I, I should just I should just shove a radical political statement randomly into the show to kind of balance out. It's like the yin to the yang, you know? You ever yeah. have you ever been known to just shove it in, Dave? I no, you get yelled at. Okay. So this isn't the first time this shit has happened. My oh. my fortune is like a threat. 
It says, <laughs> what comes around goes around. Well, it, I guess it depends I, on... I don't, I don't know if the camera can get that. Can you, can you, yeah, I, I don't know. It's probably too bright in the light. What comes around yeah. goes around. What kind of fortune is that? Well, I mean, if you're doing good, you don't have anything to worry about, right? Dave. Oh. <laughs> All right. Um, hey, Dave. Yes, Alan. What time is it? It's time for meme of the week. Me finally building up courage to talk about my AIDS. Everyone else at the orgy. Wow. Yeah. <clears throat> Bad timing. But we do have a bonus meme. I know you're not going to hit the laugh button for Christ's sake. So we, let's just oh. go ahead and look at the bonus meme. Okay. Interviewer. It says here you never went to jail. Correct. I was taken. Yeah. Yeah, that's different. <laughs> let's uh let's go ahead and answer some viewer mail all right oh, whoa oh. well that was nice i like that wow. uh yep so our first question comes from andrew avery who writes dear alan and dave is the past tense of Bakeman freed Bakeman fraud? Hmm. Hmm. Um, freed. I don't know. We should ask Kanye what the past tense of that should be. Who's they, oh. though? You know? Who's they, though? Uh, Tim Weissong writes, Dear Alan and Dave, If you were in charge of creating an entirely new calendar system, where would you set year zero? Well, um, the answer is no. yeah. September 27th, 1985, because I don't believe anything that happened before I was here happened. Yeah, they can't prove it. Prove it. Yeah. yeah. Like all like all of this was just created to shackle my brain in an endless waking nightmare. That could be true. Yeah. You ever I think mean, about that? Yeah, I do. It's that it's it. It's that whole thing. Like if if you think that humanity will ever get to the point where we can create a simulation where the things being simulated don't know they're in a simulation, then what's the chances that that's not where we are right now? Mm -hmm. Yeah. So, so Swole Keasley there in chat says I happened. So see, that's exactly what the that, that's exactly what the designers would mm -hmm. do. As soon as you're onto it, they would start spamming you with messages to try to try to convince you <laughs> otherwise. So no. Yep. Ryan's not real. Uh, Justin Campbell writes, Dear Alan and Dave, Where is all the racism and hate speech that I hear so much about on Twitter? I can't seem to find it, and that's a thing I would totally like to look more into for research purposes. Your friend yeah. who's totally not a bigot, Justin. Oh. Yeah, they were... So, you know, the experts, after Elon Musk mm -hmm. takes over Twitter, starts writing articles saying, Oh, yeah, there's a lot of, a lot of hate speech now on Twitter, and... You know, he's not doing a good job of taking care of, like, the child pornography. And it's like, but he's actually, it's, the, of course, you know, it's opposite day for the corporate press. Yeah. And so, yeah. Um, <laughs> Justin, if you need a fix on bigotry, um, come hang out. Uh, Marilyn Willimowski writes, Dear Alan and Dave, 
What is something you cannot understand the popularity of? Oh. Dave, what's something you can't understand the popularity of? Uh, off the top of my head, um, The Walking Dead. Ooh. Seems like that, that just took way too long. Any, yeah. any movie like Zombie Apocalypse, you figure it'd settle itself out pretty quick, but was that like 10 years that thing's been running? Yeah. Um, you, did you see they're making a new Avatar movie? Oh, yeah. You, like, you know, yes. Yeah. So I'm going to say Avatar because the heroes of that movie are the white colonists and in any and they always are like in historically the white colonists mm. are always the good guys yeah yeah, yeah. avatar is hate speech <laughs> it's problematic so, yeah there you go uh brian sievert writes christ dear alan and dave <laughs> what was your favorite part of the alex jones interview with ye i'm I didn't watch it. I'm I'm not going oh. to. People are posting clips everywhere. Why would I watch that crap? Both of those people are total clowns. Well, circuses are fun. Well. Ah. Are they, though? I've never really liked clowns. It, you know? No, they're, they're creepy. It probably goes back to the time when I was a little kid and a clown killed my dad. Oh. 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 Wow. That one. Mm-hmm. Um, Lalderio writes will this be the most important December to remember of our lives uh, it, yeah it's the December <laughs> to remember sales event um, oh is that going on yeah but I, you know what I bet they're not giving you 30% off with promo code it's too late no yeah no so I don't I don't observe December to remember you should just type in it's too late in all the promo sections of whatever site you're on and just just see what happens. Yeah. Maybe they'll notice. They'll be like, what is this? Everybody's typing this in. Yeah. Um, they're gonna think it's like, you know, it's a it's a new racist dog whistle. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Um it's a threat. <laughs> Keith McQuarrie writes, Dear Alan and Dave, what is the device you use to play all the sound bites? Hmm. Um the device I use to play all the sound bites is Dave Willemowski, but it only works like 30% of the time. Oh, if that, if that. <laughs> but, but strangely enough, if you just, if you just pour alcohol on it, like a normal device would stop working. But Dave. Oh, it, it goes nuts. <laughs> <laughs> then, then frankly, I have to ask him to stop hitting. <laughs> there's no, there's no in between for you. No, no. It's, it's either uh, and, the show uh, is just silent for half an hour, or it's just nonstop fucking lights and whistles. <laughs> and now it's shut the fuck again. up. No one cares. <laughs> know your fucking place, trash. All right, uh, Brian Johnson writes, "Dear Alan and Dave, did you have any favorite children's books growing up?" Oh, did Dave? Oh, did. <laughs> Were you a nerd and read? Well, I, I've been known to look at some pictures. I always liked uh, Clifford the Red Be Big Red Dog. That one, that that popped right into my head. I'm like warm fuzzies thinking about that, like a nostalgic thing. This was yeah. an interesting question. I meant to look it up, and I and and I I tried briefly, and I couldn't find it. So I'm not sure what the title of the book is. If someone in chat can find this book and like ship me a copy of it, I will I will read it on air. I will read it for like we'll do a little children's book. Thing. Oh, 
Like it'll yeah. be it'll be story time hour, but without the drag queen. Um. Oh. Yeah. Well. Yeah. I, I so when I that. was when I was in elementary school, they had this book in the children's library library at my elementary school, and I don't remember the name of it. But here, this was the story. Let me like synop- synopsis really quick. There was this old jester in court who would mm-hmm. juggle juggle colorful balls, and then he would keep adding colors until it was like a rainbow that he was juggling. But finally, the years wore on, and people got tired of his whole gimmick, and he was sent away. He he was exiled because the people didn't like him anymore. And then he got really sad, and then he started juggling again because it's the only thing he knew how to do. And in the Mm -hmm. new village that he went to, all the kids came up, and they were delighted because they loved his routine. And so he... He, he tried the hardest he'd ever had in his whole life. He got more and more colors, and he juggled higher and higher, and it was the greatest Ooh. rainbow you ever saw. And then he died. Oh. I'm not shitting you. That's how the story ends. His heart gives out from the, his final performance. Yeah, well. Sure there's a moral there? Yeah, the moral is don't don't try don't do what you love yeah. Yeah, right <laughs> god that story has really proven true for me <laughs> i i didn't listen it's gonna kill and you now look where i am <laughs> oh my god this is amazing somebody find that book for me I, that was not a joke i didn't write that bit it was a real book swear to god that's how it ends <laughs> Uh, and finally this evening d3 writes dear alan and dad what's your favorite board game dave favorite board game um, I, I guess Monopoly. I'm gonna have to say Monopoly. If you're gonna play a game where you collect money, I think life is better than Monopoly because at least it's like it's comical, you know, like the, all the random shit that's happening to you. And like, oh, look oh, at me, yeah, yeah. I have a bunch of debt in an old car and and four yeah. children. Yeah. <laughs> so you know, so ha 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 ha. I love games, but somehow you still retire with money usually. Yeah, that the, that's that's the part of the game that's very unrealistic. Is the end when you have it was money. made a different time. Yeah, yeah. There was no, there's no tile you can land on where it says your life is over. Yeah, you just game over. <laughs> Go back to your parents. Yeah, it's, think about that. Like, remember the game life? You spin the little thing and you're running the path. There should be a tile yeah. that's like black that says game over and a picture of one of the little life pieces like broken in half. Oh, yeah. All right, this got really dark, but it's not me. Yeah. That was what was in well, the yeah. fucking book. It was the jester died. That's mm-hmm. what happened. Wow. All right, um, we best be getting on. This this has gotten off the rails. Have you noticed? No, no, this is about right. <laughs> Lying son of a bitch. Guys, <laughs> we're going to be back with Dave Benner to talk about his latest book, Thomas Paine, A Lifetime of Radicalism, right after this commercial break. Don't go away. Your ad could be playing right now, reaching thousands of potential customers. Sadly, it's not, but it could be. Find out how to be an advertised sponsor for It's Too Late with Alan Mosley. Email us at info at alanmosley.tv.
back to the show, everybody. Our guest this evening, making, I think, like third or fourth appearance on the show, is a historian and an author whose latest book, Thomas Paine, A Lifetime of Radicalism, is actually, is out now! It's out now! You can buy it right now. Uh, you know what? Buy two. Buy one for the person you are now, and buy one for the person you're going to be after you read the book. Dave Benner, welcome back to the show. Thanks, man. It's a pleasure to be here. Uh, thanks for uh, noting about the book release. That was a very uh, great honor of mine to be able to release it and to have you introduce it. So, Well, I, I, I want to comment really quick before we get into this. Is that not a damn fine looking book cover right there? Check that out. Dave, Dave, you, you always have excellent book covers. Who, who did that right there? Thanks. Uh, the guy that did it is named Jeff Stewart. He used to do graphics at the 10th Amendment Center, and he is phenomenally talented. So, yeah, I'm in debt to him for creating this cover. It's amazing. Well, I know that everyone's looking forward to it, just like I'm looking forward to this interview. And I'm going to start off with we're going to start off with a tough question to hit things off. Dave, should the Green Bay Packers continue to play Aaron Rodgers at quarterback for the rest of the season or shut him down and see what they have in Jordan Love? Absolutely have to play him. You can't justify anything else for that contract. Um, I hope they lose out personally for draft pick mode, you know, Ooh. but you can't start Love yet. Love is, you know, he's just, we didn't pay Rodgers the biggest contract in NFL history to sit on the bench. Love has to develop, no doubt, but, you know, I don't know what to tell you. I think that Rodgers is there four more years if he's healthy. So Now, okay, so that was going to be my next question is, is Aaron Rodgers the starter of the Green Bay Packers in week one of the 2023 season? So you're saying pretty emphatically, yes, if he's healthy, and and you have no qualms with that decision, no matter where Green Bay is as an organization, you think he's starting for the next few years at least. I think it's happening, and I would only have qualms if they make an opposing decision. You just can't justify paying a quarterback that much to ride the bench. I'm sorry. Love was I thought Love was a bad draft pick at the time, and the timing's bad, given that they gave him that monstrous contract. So, sorry, I think he's going to be here at least a few more years no matter what, and they have to start him. So, do you think that Aaron Rodgers is going to feel as strongly about being the starting quarterback of the Green Bay Packers for the next three to four seasons as you do if if it looks a situation kind of similar to this year where eight, 10, 11 weeks into the season, you're not really in this thing. Um, some of your best skill position players, of course, everyone knows about Devontae Adams, no longer with the team. It felt, I mean, I, I feel like a lot of people who were Rodgers fans looked at the situation and said, I can understand he's frustrated because you feel like the team is not in the trajectory you want them to be in when you're sort of in the golden years of your career. But you think that that's all going to be squared away for the next few seasons. Yeah, I do, because it seems like the management has given him more of a say in, in personnel feedback that he wanted, plus they paid him. I mean, that I mean, these agents that work with the players are super talented and, you know, getting organizations to be bent to their will. And I think money was the primary concern. He got paid. So. All right. Well, uh, Dave, great to have you back on the show. All right. We're yeah. going to we're going to talk about we're going to talk about T-Pain here a little bit now that we've gotten our football out of the way. Uh <laughs> 
Dave, you were on when when you were wrapping up the book, and it, and you had said at the time it's going to be published later in the year, which indeed it was. And we talked a little bit about his early life, about uh, some of the trials and tri- tribulations of growing up, and some of the near death experiences that he had. Um, we what else did we talk? We talked about some of his relationships with with other founding fathers and their correspondences. But something we didn't talk a lot about then at the time that I promised that we would talk about today is why Thomas Paine? What inspired you so much to write about Thomas Paine? Because this was no small undertaking. You you really took the time and effort to make this right. Yeah, man, it was a combination of a few things. Like first and foremost is that I've read most of the Paine historiography at this point. Almost all biographers have to do that. And not much of great substance, I think, has been written on Paine in decades. Um, I think the last really good work was a by a guy named John Keane, and that one is about 25 or 30 years old at this point. Um, I also think that all the biographers got at least one or two major things about Payne's life wrong, or they glossed over some very important facets of his life. And, you know, most commonly, his most radical ideas. Um, many of the biographies do concentrate a lot on Payne's life, but don't focus on you know his philosophy and his political creed that he was so effective at spreading. Um, So that is one that's basically the most major reason. And the other one is that I can't think of a figure in his time that more successfully impacted three different societies. He rocked the political establishments of the U.S., Britain and France, Um, and even so much so that some of his political adversaries, such as John Adams, had to admit that, you know, call it then the age of pain, realizing this. So um, he's just a really interesting figure that was know way ahead of its time in so many ways now let's let's talk a little bit about the historiography and so for people at home that aren't total freaking nerds like you and me who have no idea what that means it's to, to put it simply it's it's the writing of history it's 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 the history of the history of the history of thomas <laughs> Paine. and so so let's talk about that a, a, a little bit um, what's the what's the sort of general mainstream view of thomas Paine? And what do you think about, uh, for, for lack of a better phrase, what do you think about the public school education version of Thomas Paine that maybe they're getting wrong that you wanted to get right? Yeah, so I don't know. I think the standard narrative generally is that Thomas Paine played an enormous role in um, you know, getting regular people to support the cause of independence. And I think that's true. Um, you know, public school standard orthodox narratives will also say, you know, he contributed to some extent to selling the war after it had started in the crisis. And that's true too, but that's basically where the narrative ends for almost all, you know, um, history textbook, uh, curriculum that I've seen, things like that. But there was so much more to pain beyond that. Um, I think that they, they sometimes get wrong, um, if they visit these aspects of his life, they get wrong the fact that he was poor and essentially friendless at the end of his life. Neither of those things are true, though he did live very frugally at the end of his life, but it was for the sake of um, his beneficiaries, the Bonavie children. It was a family that he lived with in France. Uh, Madame Bonavie and their children came over back to the United States with him in 1802, and he set up a trust to you know, pay this family back for taking him in in his most perilous times. Um, He set up a trust for them. He also wasn't as big of a drunkard as you might hear. 
What is true, uh, and the Orthodox narratives will admit this sometimes, is he was a pariah for sure for two major reasons. One, his viewpoints on religion, which were incredibly radical for the time. He was a deist that denied all the miraculous aspects of Christianity, basically denounced them in no uncertain terms, um, believed only in a clockmaker God, and also his rift with Washington. He eventually said that Washington was full of ambition and avarice, um, because he felt personally betrayed that um, Washington did not do more to bail him out of his situation languishing in a prison in France during the reign of terror. So now let's let's talk about that a little bit because I, I think uh, a common narrative that you'll sometimes see maybe more in like history social media than you will uh, amongst the layman is a lot of people believe, that, oh, well, there were founding fathers that, like Paine, had some radical views about, for instance, things like religion. But because of the time they lived in and because of of maybe privacy or professionalism, they just didn't discuss those things. Um, is, 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 that, is that an idea that you subscribe to? Do you believe that there were other founders that may have been closer to Paine than what is publicly discussed? But, but because of the reaction that Thomas Paine is getting, they're not sharing those types of beliefs publicly yeah i do buy that to a certain extent though i sometimes think it's exaggerated like sometimes i'll hear people make these blanket statements like oh all the founders were deists and that's just that's absurd um it was a very protestant centric time and Paine was kind of disseminating his radical political views during the second great awakening probably the biggest protestant explosion in the united states um, so, yeah, I do think that some other founders did view things on religion similarly to pain, but it wasn't a huge number. Um, Ethan Allen certainly was. He was not really a founder, but Jefferson was the closest to pain. And I think Jefferson was a little bit less of what you would call a deist than pain, because I think you can find places in Jefferson's life where he prayed, which a deist would not have done because a deist doesn't believe that God intervenes in the natural course of the world. Um, and things like that. But Jefferson was definitely the closest uh, kindred mind to pain when it came to religion. And you can see that based upon his private correspondence and, you know, things like the Jefferson Bible, where he took a razor and glue and took out all the miraculous events of the of the Bible and, you know, forged essentially his own his own uh, his own tome. Now, this is a question I, I want you to be prepared. Um, I talked to our mutual friend, the Mike Meharry, and said, Mike, I need a really controversial subject or a question that'll get Dave deplatformed. He said, okay, here you go. Would Thomas Paine have supported the Union or the Confederacy? Yeah, I actually, you believe this or not, you asked me this at the end of our, our earlier interview last year, and I think, I think my attitude shifted a little bit. So okay. I'll clarify that. Um, Payne believe he was not particularly concerned with political decentralization. In fact, in many ways, especially in his early kind of career writing in support of the war, he thought that the United States strength came from its characteristic of being united. He thought that, you know, we can't let, you know, what's happening up there in New England or Virginia be isolated events. I mean, our severance depends on uniting against the tyrants in Britain or essentially, you know, being forced to live as slaves. So that being said, like during his later life, he certainly aligned more with the Jeffersonians, which, you know, as you know, were much more aligned with 
decentralization, understanding the federal orientation of the union, because he just thought the, the federalists were total charlatans, especially when it came to the Jay Treaty and the Alien and Sedition Acts. A lot of people don't know this, but um, Payne condemned the Alien and Sedition Acts in no uncertain terms. He basically um, derided Jay and called him a closet royalist. Um, and he denounced the Jay Treaty because he was a Francophile that couldn't understand why the United States would not want to build a kindred brotherhood with the new French Republic. What? What? Why would you want to t make closer ties with monarchy instead? It made no sense to Payne. So um, in a way, I think uh, he would have maybe been either neutral or maybe even supported the CSA. I don't know. It's hard to say. This is a total hypothetical. Now, now that's that's interesting. So, so just just to clarify, what were the if you have off the top of your head, what were the years of his life, like birth and death? Seventeen thirty-seven to eighteen oh nine. He lived until he was seventy-two. Yeah, so that's so that's a long life, uh, especially back then, and that's a, and that's an interesting time frame, right? Because he he is coming up before the birth of America. And he is very and very influ influential in in kind of this renaissance of political thought. But see, but he also lived a long a long enough time to see turmoil in the new states. That that of course we know where that was going. That that per they perhaps didn't know at the time. So so did did do you, would you say then that it's accurate to say that Payne saw the writing on the wall? that this this American experiment is already going off the rails, or did he have more optimism than that? He totally thought it went off the rails, especially as the Federalists became entrenched in power. Um, it, it's not... He was involved in matters in Europe very closely associated with the French Revolution that he didn't really have much time or opine that much on Washington's first administration. But when it came time to uh, for his second term... He really, you know, loathed the, the fact that the Federalists wanted to basically give the British all all they wanted um, to kind of maintain a trade relationship with them. And he thought it was uh, totally conducive to uh, the hereditary monarchies that he had opposed the whole time, George III, and then in France, the, the monarchical system by the Bourbon monarchs. So it was, you know, the Neutrality Proclamation, the Jay Treaty, and then you know, when when John Adams uh, signed the Alien and Sedition Acts and began a quasi war in France, he just thought that was, you know, abominable. Um, so, yeah, he thought this thing went off the rails really quick. He had mixed opinions on the Constitution. He thought that there were some aspects of it that were good, but and didn't write a lot about it, honestly. But he didn't like the fact that there weren't term limits. And, um, you know, that was a qualm that Jefferson had, too. So now. You know, because there's there's certain issues that I know Payne weighed in on that are that are p issues that are at least in the political consciousness today, right now in in 2022 politics. Um, I was going to ask you, and and I will. I, I want to get around to ask you uh, a kind of an open-ended question of uh, what are a few aspects of Payne's writing and thought that we see very present in modern day, and what are a few things, a few stances of his that you might consider to be very controversial. Um, but before we get to that, I, there's one that I want to make sure we touch on, because I'm sure that there'll be people in the comments that are going to bring this up. And I bet you already know where I'm going to go with this. Thomas Paine supported a universal basic income. He was a communist. Dave, <laughs> tell us what the deal is with Thomas Paine and UBI. 
Uh, that's true. He absolutely did. He basically concocted the first UBI scheme in German Western civilization, as far as I can tell. And Andrew Yang actually pointed this out on the campaign trail when he ran for the Democratic presidency. And I think he was right. So in the pamphlet Agrarian Justice, he called for a land tax to be assessed on all cultivated lands. And in a way, uh, he was a Lockean. He believed that you know property was given to mankind in the first place in the commons. And by using mankind's labor and combining it with those natural resources, you would create labor in the first kind. But where he diverged from Locke was he said, well, um, but that's it, it doesn't make sense that that land is now permanently owned only by another individual. Some portion of it belongs in the commons. So on that basis, he proposed an annual stipend to be given to everyone in a given society based on the proceeds of that land. So it's true. He supported a UBI. Now this fell on deaf ears. Totally. Um, it was never embraced by England where he intended it to be or in France. And there's some things about this that we have to be fair to pain too. I mean, he believed that debt itself was another form of slavery. So he wouldn't have supported any kind of scheme like this that, you know, was based on debt and reckless, fiat printing and endless monetary expansion and things like that. But that part is true. He also proposed really the first progressive income tax in Western civilization at the end of Rights of Man Part 2. Um, public works projects, aid for the poor, um, aid for the elderly, and what really was a proto-welfare state. And he did all this again, falling on deaf ears, about, I think, 90 years before Bismarck implemented the first one. So all of this is true. But again, um, Payne didn't expect this to be funded through fiat or debt, and he really believed, and he, there was a truth in this, that England's onerous taxation system really did target um, people, and the landed lords in power had essentially accumulated a lot of wealth illegitimately. So he viewed it to some extent as a form of restitution. Now, whether or not we would justify it in that term um, is another question, but that is a truth. Well, we've, we've already mentioned two, so I, I don't know if we need to keep on going on controversial opinions of Thomas Paine's. So let's, we'll, we'll switch gears and talk about what are, name maybe a, a list of two or three things that are, are really central to Paine's writing and intellectual thought that fast forward a century or two have truly been ingrained into the American system. Yeah, the, so I, I really focus on three mostly in the book. And so I'll give you all three. So one is the idea that we wouldn't live under a hereditary monarchy. I mean, this was an idea that was completely unheard of when Thomas Paine first kind of wrote about it in common sense and really expounded upon it in the rights of man. But now you don't think twice about that. The places where there are monarchs still in the world, they're mostly figureheads. And there are kind of totalitarian hereditary regimes, but it's certainly not the norm in the West. Um, the other thing is the abolition of slavery. Um, Payne was a devout abolitionist. Another thing that's not written or said about him much, but you know, even from his first writings, he practiced editorial discretion to publish a pamphlet in Philadelphia called African Slavery in America. It was a completely radical abolitionist tract, really the first one that had ever been printed of its kind in North America that denounced slavery in no uncertain terms, called it an evil to participate in the slave trade. And you know, said these people were entitled to natural rights. And, you know, not everyone from his generation was like that. Many people actually did oppose um, slavery, but very few people, you know, would have called for kind of those those types of pol policy remedies. And the third is the outright um, 
disconnection of religion and the state. He focuses a lot on this in The Rights of Man and really points to the American system as a model for France to follow. He says, hey, look at what Virginia did. They severed all ties um, from the state, and now the state can't compel individuals to, you know, adhere to a particular kind of religion, swear a religious oath to assume governmental office or anything like that, because that's essentially slavery over man's mind. You're essentially commanding someone else's conscience, and he thought the creator wouldn't have wanted that. So those three things are, you know, we don't even think about them. They're such the norm now. It's it's really interesting, and I, and I know that you're choosing your words carefully because you're you're not necessarily speaking for yourself you're speaking uh, sort of for thomas paine that so he he would have been considered a heathen compared to a lot of the more religious types of his age or even today and yet he still thought of something like for instance the institution of slavery being something that the creator would consider to be abhorrent and and but he followed that out to its logical conclusion well what is slavery that includes both the chattel slave in the field, but that includes also you living under a monarchy that also includes debt. So, mm. I, wow. I mean, you, I, that, that's, that's very impressive for someone living in the late 18th century, <laughs> early 19th century. Um, uh, I'll give you, I'll give you one more crack at that before we move on. Is there, is there anything else? Cause I know the, the book is out now and and uh this is not your first rodeo you've written a number of books including compact of the republic which we've talked about on this very show uh is there anything now looking back i know the book hasn't been out too too long is there anything looking back now that's kind of one of those immediate ah i wish i had maybe clarified this or mentioned that or are you uh, are you the type of person that you you've washed your hands of it you've moved on oh man it's such a good question. I spent so much time and so many years on this. In fact, I remember talking to you about writing this book, maybe part of it like three and a half years ago. So yes. I, I'm really proud of the product. I've gotten good reviews on it and um, good feedback on it. Um, I think I may have, I don't know if this was a good decision or not, but I focused a lot on the French Revolution, um, the things that were swirling around Payne at the time, even when he didn't have direct influence on that, um, for better or worse. Some people that enjoy that may like that fact, but that was, um, you know, a conscious decision I made to write a lot about the French Revolution and how it affected Payne and influenced his life. And I don't know if that was the right decision or not. So I'll say that. Um, but I'm very proud of this book. It's super exhaustive. I just looked at it. It's 450 pages total, including the notes and index. So I really did an exhaustive treatment. I'm proud of how I you know, covered the ideas first and foremost. So I don't really have many regrets about it. Well, well, really quick, let's talk up those reviews a little bit. I know you, you've gotten a, a, a lot of good reviews for the book. Tell us, tell the crowd at home a little bit about some of the important people who left little blurbs, who did some reviews, who who maybe wrote a little line or two saying that they thought you did a fantastic job. Yeah, well, I am incredibly honored that I got the endorsement and blurb of Tom Woods, Kevin Gutsman, Brian McClanahan, Brad Berzer, Marco Bassani. And a few other individuals, people that listen to this show may know um, if you guys if, if you guys are wondering, I think that's like a who's who of the best American historians there are right now today. So I, I couldn't be more elated to get um, that kind of feedback from them. Um, definitely uh, happy to receive that. But I also appreciate, you know, anyone that's just interested in American history that buys it and lets me know what they think, too. But, uh, yeah, extremely proud of those endorsements. Well, let's bring this full circle. 
What do Aaron Rodgers and Thomas Paine have best in common? Well, they both weren't very close to their family. I don't, Damn. Don't. <laughs> <laughs> I guess I go with that. I thought about that when you floated the, that question earlier in our kind of colloquial conversation, but uh, that's what I'll say. I mean, Payne, you know, Aaron Rodgers, it's all the tabloids and TMZ that I don't follow much, but apparently at one point he kind of, you know, disconnected all ties with his family. Payne, you know, tried to follow in his father's footsteps for a little bit in England, making uh, stays for corsets, women's corsets. They are kind of structural underbindings to them, but really went off on his own from a young age and had very little contact with his family throughout the rest of his life, so... There, there you go. How's that? Well, now the folks at home have the recipe for what you got to do to be a great man. You got to leave your wife and children behind. <laughs> be Tom Brady, not, <laughs> I don't know, someone who's actually decent. All right, Dave, where can people go to support you? But most importantly, get the book. Yeah, absolutely. It's at, um, go to http colon slash slash davidbenner.square.site. So it's David Benner. Dot square dot site. I have my online store there. You can order any of my books there, and I'll be happy to personalize it with a message of your choice. I won't write um, Nancy Pelosi rules or Kanye West 2024, though, so don't try that, but uh, they are available there. What about Kanye West rules and Nancy Pelosi 2024? <laughs> it's, it just seems mutually abhorrent. I, I don't okay. know. All right. <laughs> Well, Dave, thank you so much for taking uh, another another trip with us down the It's Too Late Highway. Um, a couple of things I want to hit you with before we take off for the commercial break. Uh, the first one is, now you, you have promised a personalized copy for me with, with something of a neo-Confederate nature. So I, <laughs> I, 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 I very much look forward to that. But as you know, having been an, an alumni of It's Too Late, we got to get you out of here on this one. Are you ready for the bonus round? Oh, man, I can't wait. All I know is I'm going to be wrong, but let's give this a crack. Well, it's 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 a question with only two answers. So you have a 50-50 chance no matter what. I love right. it. Dave Benner. <laughs> is a fruitcake a cake or a bread? Um, a bread. Oh, Dave! No, I'm not I, a fruitcake specialist, man. You can't can't blame you, me. You you hate to see it. So so, Dave, here's the here's the answer because I didn't make this up. So so, bread of course is leavened with yeast, but cake is chemically leavened with lots of sugar added. Now, a fruitcake is a special type of thing called a quick bread. But even though it's called a quick bread, a quick bread is by definition a cake. Therefore, a fruit cake is a cake. I'm so sorry, Dave, but we'll try again next time. It's sick how deep you dive into this, man. Talk about the historiography. You know the historiography of foods, man. I, ladies and gentlemen, I spent about seven minutes getting ready for my interview with Dave Benner, but about 45 minutes getting ready for the fruit cake question. Dave, we'll try again sometime next year. What do you say? Sounds good, man. We can do that. Guys, we're going to be back to wrap up the show right after this commercial break. Don't go away.
If you're enjoying tonight's show, consider supporting the program by becoming a member of our Patreon. That's over at patreon.com slash Mosley. Like our Facebook page. It's facebook.com slash TV. You can follow me on Twitter. Twitter.com at TV. Subscribe on our YouTube. It's youtube.com slash TV. We're also on Odyssey. Go on support of free speech platforms. Odyssey.com TV. But if you're more of a listener than a watcher, you can listen on your favorite podcasting platform of choice thanks to Anchor FM's anchor.fm slash Alan Mosley TV. Um, why are people yelling? <laughs> What's going on over there? I don't know. It's that um, chat's gone off the rails. Yeah. Big thank you to our friend Dave Benner for coming on the show once again so that I could pick his brain about Aaron Rodgers. I mean, Thomas Payne. <laughs> um, yeah, Aaron, that's right. There's the links there. Consider supporting the show if you like what you see and hear tonight. And uh, Dave, do you have a final thought? Um, wish these damn buttons would work. Um, what do I hit here? What are you doing? No, that's Dave Cam. Now oh, they can't right. even hear that's you. This one. Jesus, right, that's better. <clears throat> I don't know. My button's off. I was about to say it's been a pretty good show. We we got through it without a hitch. No no technical issues until so this very nice. moment. <laughs> yeah, isn't that right? <laughs> well, there we go. That that's about. Yeah, that's about it. Yeah, Aaron's got the link right there in chat, too. There's the link to get Dave's book. So you can get uh, Dave Benner's book, uh, Thomas Paine, A Lifetime of Radicalism. Um, get one for the kids. Mary, if the kids are still hungry, buy them a book so they can learn to feed themselves. Bread, bread for the soul. Yeah. Yeah. Um, after party, you think? Yeah, a quick one. Yeah, well, you say I'll, that. I then... swing that. I know. Just, Three just hours a, later. Just, <laughs> just a teensy little after party. Yeah. Cause I'm, I'm pretty exhausted actually. Yeah, it's been yeah. a long week. It has been a long week, and it's Wednesday. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Uh, after party's gonna be on uh, everywhere. Cause who gives a <laughs> <laughs> um, guys thank you so much for watching another episode of It's Too Late and we will see you next week did you know no. Dave that this song that's playing right now it doesn't get us banned uh-huh. but they block the show in Russia and Belarus for this song? for this song is this a uh, peanut song? Yeah, because we're playing Christmas Time is Here by Vince Giraldi, it blocks the show, but only in Russia and Belarus, not anywhere else. Man, that's a big chunk of our audience. So, for people keeping it at home, you can watch Monday Night Football live on It's Too Late, but not this. <laughs>